Blog Talk Radio. and variety show. We are bringing you this week variety. Uh, <laughs> I'm juggling right now. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah, I've been working on my vaudeville act. That, that's terrific, Newton. Um, and, and exactly what does your act consist of? I'll let you know once I start working on it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, we're coming, of course, to you live from the stratosphere high above Franklin, Tennessee, uh, and San Luis Obispo, California. I'm your host, Nate Larkin. For those of you who are new to the podcast, here joined by our co-host from the left, left coast, Aaron Porter. Hey, Aaron. How are you doing? <laughs> Mr. Excitement today. And uh, and running the board from the catbird seat is our fearless, peerless engineer, Mondo. Hey, Mondo. Hey, buddy. How's it going, man? I'm doing all right. Doing all right. And uh, the uh, latest uh, member to join the crew here, our climbing expert, Newton Dominey. Are you at the gym, Newton? Hi. <laughs> how are you? I'm doing all right. Okay. Terrific. Well, and we've got a we've got a great guest. More on that in a moment. We're gonna t- we're gonna take a departure from what we ordinarily do on this show. Uh, it's it's an, uh, a conversation actually that I am looking forward to because I am the oldest guy on this show, uh, the closest to, statistically speaking to uh, the, gr- the the closest to the grave, and therefore the one with the most acute interest. I think perhaps in uh, death and dying. It's been a fascination of mine for a long time, and we're going to go there in this show. So brace yourself. It's been yourself. a fascination. I think you should rephrase. That's just, you know, I think that's what serial killers say or what people say about that. Fascinated by dying for a long time. Fascinated by death. So I uh, think the first question the first question we have to ask by law is, have you ever killed small animals for fun, Nate? <laughs> <laughs> no, not for fun. Uh, we did for food when I was a child. Uh, yeah, a lot of small game not hunting and trapping to feed the family. But no, no, not for fun, not for sport, thanks. Um, Probably not a serial killer. You're off the hook. Yeah. Uh, i got to tell you, Aaron, I have been uh, – I spoke with you yesterday about this fascination, uh, fascinating possibility that's opened up for a last-minute – Mission of Mercy slash Missionary Journey. Uh, I've been here at the house caring for my wife for several months now. I'm getting stir-crazy, and I get the feeling that she would love to see me leave for a few days. Uh, (laughs) So yesterday we took a friend into uh, Vanderbilt for a doctor's appointment, a a guy we know who's a, a songwriter, session musician. Played ukulele with uh, with uh, oh, Simon and Garfunkel, believe it or not, back in the 60s. That's how his musical career began. Toured with a bunch of acts and wrote a bunch of songs that country fans will uh, recognize. At any rate, a guy who 20 years ago was diagnosed with uh, MS, uh, spent a year in bed, but miraculously recovered and was back writing and playing again. And a couple of years ago, diagnosed with Parkinson's on top of his MS. And so he's uh, fighting through that now. He's lost the use of the left side of his body, most of it, uh, which means that he cannot drive his standard shift car. Uh, he can't get around. So he's dependent upon friends for transportation. Until uh, he can get a car with automatic. And a friend of his, another musician, 
uh, a name that people from the 80s would know, has given him a car. The, uh, the hitch is it's in Los Angeles, and he needs to get it to Nashville. So uh, he casually mentioned from the back seat yesterday as we're driving into Nashville, you don't know anybody who'd like to drive a car from L.A. to Nashville, do you? <laughs> <laughs> so I placed a call to, um, to Aaron, and uh, yeah, kind of got a hell yeah kind of response. Uh, <laughs> road trip. Road trip. You know, I may be old, but I'm not too old for a road trip. And I thought, man, I, if he's doing it, I want to do it with him. Uh, so I've been uh, feverishly this morning mapping out a potential route. Uh, and I do have, you know, I have established speaking dates set up kind of on the way back. Uh, i got to speak a couple times in Omaha, Nebraska, which is about 300 miles out of the way. Um, I've got a date in Denver for the late November that I might be able to move up, and that would give us an excuse to go to Denver. Got some guys in Salt Lake City who would dearly love us to come. They've been asking me for a couple of years. We could maybe drop into Salt Lake. Uh, we got friends in Las Vegas, Samson guys and the Triple X Church guys. Uh, so basically, if, if you're anywhere between Los Angeles and Tennessee, shoot you an email and see if you can work it out. <laughs> Yeah, if we could work it out, wouldn't that be fun? Indeed. Yeah. So anyway, that's what so there you go. Yeah, yeah. What's cooking in your world there, Aaron? Oh, man, it was uh, Caleb's 11th birthday yesterday, and the kids always get to pick the meal, and he wanted a Tom Kha Kai Thai soup that I make that he likes and musubi uh, Hawaiian, like Hawaiian sushi except with, I use spicy linguisa instead of spam and sweet eggs and rice and wasabi. But I cooked it with fish oil, or, yeah, instead of my substitute, thinking, you know what, I think I can handle it because, of course, I'm allergic to fish. So I woke up at 2, two, two in the morning, my tongue was swollen, and, you know, that tongue goes way back into your throat. Oh, so, man. And so I started looking for Benadryl. Of course, we had none. So I went down to the Food for Less. Of course, I got pulled over by a police officer on the way. And I had to say, (laughs) dude, can you you pull me over in the parking lot after I get Benadryl? Because my registration had expired because I hadn't smogged my car, so they wouldn't send me my sticker. Uh, So then I took a double dose of Benadryl, about three. And so now my face is still sagging from my over-medication. So, yeah. that's my story. <laughs> wow. Well, uh, we can understand you. So, obviously, the Benadryl worked. You got, uh, Your tongue has returned to somewhat close to its normal size, enough that you can now yeah. speak, speak and breathe. Still, still feels a little, uh, little numb uh, in the middle, but it's good. I just need to stop experimenting with fish products. You know, it's just at this point... Seems like a bad idea in my life. Wow. Amazing. Wow. Uh, so, Mondo, have you been experimenting with fish products? Uh, man, I've got nothing on that. <laughs> <laughs> Good Lord, man. Uh, outside of having some sushi the other night and going to bed just fine and no tongue swelling, uh, I'm, actually, I'm actually okay. <laughs> All right. But are you sunburned? Are you sunburned though, Mondo? Come on, oh. tell the truth. No, I, I think the sunburn <laughs> season is over for Mondo, man. I, I've had enough peeling for the summer. Uh, yeah. I think I've, I think I can wait. I can wait about another eight months. I'm good. Yeah. Go ahead, shoot. Uh, so overall, everything is good, man. That's uh, wrapping up the week, buddy. You know, but everything's good. Okay. Good. And, and well, I'm excited too. I'm excited, Nate, because we have a doctor on the line, so he might be able to, you know, help me with better, better remedies next time. Uh, my well, tongue is swollen. So. Well, if you have if you have fish again, you may need all of his services, uh, the, the ones involved in death and dying. <laughs> oh, well, 
Uh, you know what? I think we ought to go ahead and get to our uh, a guest in a moment. Let's take a break and come back with Dr. Reggie Anderson. Well, I'm up and I'm down and I'm all around, but I'm okay if you ask me because we don't really take the time to care like we could. I could trip, I could fall, you won't know it all because your busyness is blinded. We don't really have the time to love like we should. And it always goes back down to the way podcast uh, with a conversation today with a medical doctor uh, named uh, Dr. Reggie Anderson, a guy who lives and practices in Ashland City, Tennessee, not too far from Nashville, not too far from Franklin. I I just visited that city with Allie uh, a few months ago for the first time. What a beautiful town, great people, great place, Um, and a fascinating story. Uh, I, I'm interested to see, I was fascinated to see how um, your story intersects just slightly with mine. Reggie, welcome to the show, by the way. Well, thank you very much, Nate. Um, I attend Christ Community Church here in Franklin, Tennessee, the same church that uh, Stephen and uh, Mary Beth attend. And uh, several years ago, I taught a weekly Bible study for teens uh in their gymnasium there on the property uh-huh. and uh, will played in the band we were friends and so i uh really was struck as our entire community was in 2008 when uh, their a little adopted girl tragically uh was killed in an accident there on the property and they called you now it turns out you are uh their son caleb's father-in-law is that true but I got it true. right. Yeah, yeah. Julia uh, and Caleb have been friends for forever, almost. Yeah, yeah. And they uh, they called you when it went down, and they called you for a reason because it turns out that God, in His providence, has um, given you a, a ministry, at least as I understand it, a special kind of insight in ministry to. Uh, to folks close to death. Uh, anyway, I'll, I want to back up. Let, let's. Let, I want to. I want to find out about your story, Reggie. Tell, tell us about growing up. You, uh, did you grow up in church? I did. I actually, you know, my parents were great Christian folks. Um, grew up in Alabama, mm-hmm. um, and we went to church almost every time the doors were open. Um, and all through um, elementary school and middle school, I mean, everything had revolved around God. Um, my mother's family were all farmers, so I spent a lot mm-hmm. of time on the farm in South Georgia, and you know, we depended on God for everything. Sure. And then, when I was about 15, um, two of my best friends that were uh, farmers on the next farm over and were actually distant kin were murdered uh, in a mass murder. Their whole family was killed. 
by some escaped convicts. And mm. as a 15-year-old, I was devastated and um, actually could not believe that God would allow that to happen. And therefore, yeah. I stopped believing in God Yeah, be- became an atheist. Yeah, yeah. So uh, from there, you went on... Uh, you went on to college. Uh, how did you? Yeah. How did you wind up in uh, in medicine? And uh, would you have called yourself an atheist at that time, an agnostic? Where were you? Yeah, I went to college probably as an atheist, uh, kind of really not believing that there was even a god, and then yeah. uh, studied science and bought into the whole idea that science could explain everything. Mm-hmm. And through a series of events, um, I was going to be a pilot in the Air Force, but uh, you know my vision wouldn't support that, so I had to choose a second career and wound up in medical school for some odd mm-hmm. reason. Mm-hmm. You know, looking back, of course, it was God's plan the whole time. But um, and I started in gross anatomy. You dissect the body, the human body, and I started to realize that you know the complexity and the beauty of you know this creation right in front of me could not be explained scientifically you know mm-hmm. there had to be some other explanation for what we were seeing in the in the lab and so I started thinking there had to be maybe a creative force or something of that nature Mm-hmm. And actually started going with some friends of mine to a Catholic catechism class, um, mm-hmm. and sat down and started uh, studying under their um, teaching, and you know began to wonder about whether the there was a God of the universe. And then yeah. this young lady um, that <laughs> I ran into. Um, started to challenge every uh, one of my thoughts. Uh, she started to question my uh, uh, thinking as an atheist and as an agnostic um, because at that point I actually started to think there may be a God and she questioned uh, every thought that I had mm-hmm. and um, actually I'd ask her out on a date. We went one time and she wouldn't go out with me again and because I wasn't a Christian. She she actually yeah. was so bold as to say, uh, you know, she's a Christian and I'm not, and our lives are going in two different directions, so I, I don't think we should uh, even consider dating. But she she was kind enough to uh, give me a book uh, by C.S. Lewis called Mere Christianity. Mm-hmm. And I took that book uh, on a camping trip and started, uh, I read straight through it, sitting um, by the campfire, and I read the Gospel of John in a Bible my mother had sent me. Mm. Then I fell asleep uh, right there beside the, f- the fire as it was crackling that evening. And, I f- and in that sleep, I started dreaming, and uh, all of a sudden, this voice came out from nowhere and said, and it was the voice of Jesus, and he said, Reggie, why are you running from me? Your friends are right here with me in paradise, and I turned and I could see them all, and they were all healthy and well. Mm. And, um, they were happy. I mean, I, I couldn't believe it. And then Jesus told me that I should stop running and that he had a plan for me. And one of the plans was to marry this young lady who wouldn't even date me. She thought I was this atheist, <laughs> so she wouldn't yeah. come out with me. And so immediately I started to think, wow, how is this going to happen? And he told me that I would practice medicine in Tennessee and that I would have four children. And I woke up from the dream a completely different man, I 180 degrees uh, in my thinking. So I had become a Christian that night. You know, I I love your memoir, Appointments with Heaven, and i got to hand it to you. You have got to be the most persistent suitor I have ever heard from. I mean, you really had to run this woman down, didn't you, to get her to... uh... (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, she 
she thought that I was just saying these things uh, to uh, yeah. get her attention. Yeah. And, you know, I actually had to, you know. Can, can we pause here to say, good sure. girl. Good girl. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for her to be so bold and to um, really just stand her ground, uh, her Christian faith was, um, you know, pretty much what she was standing on. And, you know, I. To the point where I, I went on this camping trip, I would have really thought she was crazy and that I had it all. Yeah. And that thought was reversed. And, you know, the fact that God told me I was going to marry her kind of, pers- you know, was the persistence in my heart. Mm-hmm. I was just trying to be obedient to the God of the universe that had saved me. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you kept showing up at your door, and finally she kind of gave in and... And uh, and then life began to unfold in the way you had seen it there in the dream. Right. Yeah. So um, so you wind up in uh, in Ashland City, Tennessee. Is this where you kind of have your first? Uh, where do you have your first experience with a dying patient? Actually, it was in medical school. Right after I started clinicals, we. I met uh, this young lady uh, at the end of my first year of medical school and became a mm-hmm. Christian. And we got married at the end of my second year of medical school mm. and started my clinical rotations. And it wasn't but a few months after that uh, that I uh, sat with this man in the VA hospital. And, you know, it, it was sort of like in his moment of passing through the veil that I realized this is something special. Yeah. You know, and it, so like the whole room changed and I realized that God was real and that he stood very close to us at that, especially at that moment. Mm -hmm. Welcome home. Yeah. How often has that happened for you in your career in dealing with, uh, because as as you have said, you deal with folks uh, all the way from their birth uh, into their rebirth into God's uh, physical kingdom, and that you, you have experienced this special gift of being able to, I don't know, how would you even explain uh, what God has given you? You know, I think it was just <clears throat> um, growing up on a farm, I, you know, I realized early on that, you know, God was involved in every aspect of our life. Um, from giving us rain um, to giving us sunshine to, you know, making the seasons the way they were. So I, I think as a as a young person, knowing that, it kind of came back to me. I, I could not really separate my work as a doctor and my life as a Christian anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it has happened multiple times Um over the course of my career, I've been practicing medicine for over 25 years and um, had a, a great number of experiences in both the emergency room and the hospitals and the nursing homes that I work in. And each experience, just like every birth of a child is different, uh, each birth of a person into heaven is a little bit different, but there's some common themes and it and it has to do with you know the veil being pulled back and kind of experiencing the environment changes that you um, would expect when heaven allows us a glimpse into it yeah you've described uh, that as kind of a look in at the foyer or the front porch just kind of a glimpse inside the front door of heaven what uh, and, and you've talked about uh, different smells and other sensations. What have What have you experienced at those times when you've been that that close, just uh, holding hands with a person uh, at the moment you know, of death? You know, if the room is cool, it will kind of warm up, and you feel kind of a breeze, kind of like a, a spring day. Mm. Um, you know, the smells that I've, I've experienced have have been smells of comfort, um, you know, I described kind of a citrus uh, lilac smell, 
and the sense of smell, I, just kind of going back to my medical uh, analogy, the actual olfactory nerve uh, from our nose goes to the deepest cortex of our brain, right next to um, the amygdala and the hippocampus, which are the two areas of the brain where our deepest, longest memories are. Mm. So I, I kind of feel like those those senses are um, places where God um, allowed you know me to understand that these are senses that w- have been with us forever, and uh, He just allows has allowed me to kind of re-experience that um, part of heaven. Hmm. Hmm. Um. So, uh, talk to us about uh, your experience with the Chapman family, and uh, you know, kind of the, the difference between how you experienced tragedy and how they did. There you go. There you go. Well, you know, as I said, you know, when I was a young man uh, or teenager, I saw tragic events with my two best friends being murdered. And I ran as far and as fast as I could from God. And that was a a hard way to deal with tragedy. On the other hand, uh, as a believer and with, you know, Steve and Mary Beth, and the way they dealt with tragedy was to run toward God into his open healing arms. And, you know, it's not easy. I mean, I'm not here to say that, you know, with tragedy we're not going to you know hurt we're not you know it's still going to be painful and yeah. there's still days that we cry and we wish that that had not happened but the difference between the way the chapmans dealt with it and the way I dealt with it as a young boy are so so much it's so much better now uh because of running toward god mhm yeah yeah now, your story must offer a lot of hope to people who think, okay, I believe in God, but I can't really know, and it's so hard, and they're kind of stuck in that spot. And here you are in your book that you wrote and in your story of your life, saying, here are the things I've experienced. How has that changed you, and how have you seen it change other people that you've told your story to? Well, I've well, the way it's changed me is, each time that God has allowed me into the foyer of heaven, I have it's reinforced the reality of where we're going. But it also has allowed me to know that we're not running toward eternity, but eternity really runs right alongside us. And it's just one breath away for all of us. And that God is just that close and that if we... Uh, just lean into him, he will always be right there. Mm. That reality is not some distant thought. It, it is it is right here and right now and he just wants, you know, us to be um comforted by the thoughts that, you know, he will be with us in our journey wherever that journey takes us. Yeah, let me ask you then uh, that's uh, what a beautiful thought. Let me ask you then a cosmological question uh, do you have the sense that we live really in a a multi-dimensional universe uh that, that heaven actually is parallel and in many ways more real than the reality that we currently occupy well for me it does and you know the way i've experienced uh these glimpses it seems like heaven is more real than what we experience now it, it's the times in my dreams or in in the times when God has allowed me to be with a you know someone that's dying and going through the foyer into yeah. through past the veil you know I can get the glimpse and the sensation that where they're going is more solid and more real than where we are mm. and looking back this seems more like a dream and that seems more real wow have you uh, have you attended uh, have you resuscitated folks from near-death experiences? Anybody who's uh, – I know that there are lots of documented near-death experiences. Have you been, have, uh, interviewed first person, anybody 
with that experience? I have. Um, I've had uh, uh, several patients that have um, come back and given me uh, accounts that reinforce what I'm feeling because they felt the same thing and they were able to, you know, tell me in human form exactly what I was seeing, uh, you know, and feeling. So, um, you know, one particular one was uh, had been uh, coded for almost two hours and she was uh, transported from our hospital to another hospital in Nashville. And the next day, miraculously woke up and was extubated and asked if I could come visit her. And um, when I did, the first thing that she told me was that, you know, Jesus wanted me to know that what I was doing was the right direction in my life. And mm. every time I saw her for the next seven years, she stayed with, on on this side. She would always tell her story about being in heaven's um, foyer and, and how beautiful it was and how she really didn't want to come back. But, you know, Jesus had told her to come back and, you know, tell her story and to reinforce that, you know, what we were doing here in Ashland City as far as my doctrine was the right thing. Wow. Wow. Now, Rich, we live in a, in a time of uh, increasing skepticism in the face of uh, or using the tools of, quote, science. And, uh, you know, throughout history, people have... You know, we look back and say, oh, people were far more superstitious. Uh, that also meant they were far more willing to accept the miraculous. And it seems that there is a diminishing willingness, even amongst Christians, to accept the miraculous. Uh, so I also think there is a, a healthy skepticism in that there are a lot of people in the world that like to uh, sell an idea that they know they can get gullible Christians excited about. So how have, have you experienced that? Because you're telling the story that there have to be a lot of skeptical people responding to you. Sorry, you. Sorry, have we got there? you? No, I, uh, it kind of went dead there for a second. Uh, could yeah, you repeat? I'm sorry. Yeah, well, my, my question is, since your story, we live in this time of, of skepticism, with growing skepticism, and really a uh, science, the word science is really pitted against the mystical or miraculous or even religious. Right. So how have you encountered skepticism, and what do you do to deal with skepticism? You know, I think we we are created to uh, be that way a little bit, um, but we are also created to have faith in something. Um, you know, whether it be science or whether it be religion, uh, I think God put inside each one of us as a human being to uh, have faith or to believe something uh, beyond ourselves. And even as a young man, when I was an atheist, I had to believe that what the scientists were telling me was correct. And it wasn't until there were some cracks in their armor, you know, where I um, really had to, you know, re-examine um, what they were telling me. And so I, it, it wasn't until that God made himself real to me uh, in my dream and then in my current experiences that, um, you know, I've been able to stand against, um, you know, the, the scientific skepticism. So what what are some of the things people have said to you when you're telling this story? Well, my wife uh, is from Missouri, and so I have to show her <laughs> from the show me state. So, um, you know, I would say that what my experiences are may be unique, uh, and not everybody gets the privilege to, you know, be with that many people when they pass through. And um, but two years ago today, actually, my father passed uh, through the veil. Uh, today is his birthday into heaven uh, on September fourth. So, and my family were with me when that happened. And, you know, at times I would tell stories about, you know, other patients that had died and how the experience was. 
and they had all, you know, kind of grown to accept me for, you know, who I am and the kind of doctoring I do. But uh, they had never experienced that. But then two years ago, they were at his bedside, and every one of them had a unique story now uh, where they were able to experience how not only did his body change, but the environment around us changed as his spirit left his body. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Reggie, um, I... It, it sounds like, you know, in your story, um, I mean, you dealt with I mean, disappointment and pain and loss uh, pretty young. Um, do you feel like that, um, I mean, I guess, can you see how God used the, those early experiences to, um, I guess, give you ears and a heart and, and a voice to help those that are also dealing with that disappointment and pain? Uh, that you walked through, I mean, from, you know, your your friends being murdered to, you know, not getting into the military and, and kind of your story of coming back into faith? Yeah, I, I do think God gives us all our journey, you know, and he gives all of us a story. Uh, and how we take that, that journey and, and the paths he puts in front of us and, you know, use it to help others is, is kind of... Um, the charge that he gives us, um, you know, and I've tried to um, always look uh, for opportunities to, um, you know, use my um, experience as a young boy of disappointment and um, either in tragedy or or even um, some other personal things that occurred and, you know, kind of use those as a um, guidepost for how God has always been at every point in my life and every turn yeah. he's been there. Well, Reggie, I really want to thank you for sharing uh, your story with us. The, the, uh, the title of the book is Appointments with Heaven. Uh, it's available wherever good books are sold, available online. Have you got a website too, Reggie? Do you yes, know? I do. It's appointmentswithheaven.com. Okay. And you can go there, and that'll tell you. You know, Intendale is my publisher. Okay. And they've been just marvelous taking taking this journey with me. So. Oh, those are good folks there. Once again, thank you so much for taking oh, time you, out man. of your busy day, and uh, and uh, I give our regards to Karen too. I look forward to meeting her someday. Okay. Absolutely. Thanks. Thank you, guys. All right. And right. we'll be back in just a moment here on the Pirate Monk Podcast. There's two things I was thinking, and so I'll throw one out, and I'll throw the other one out. Uh, 
But when our skepticism comes, when somebody else has had an experience we haven't, it's because, well, why would God make that person special? Aren't we all mm-hmm. special to God? And the answer, of course, is, yeah, we're all special to God. But then again, David was special in a very unique way. Yeah. And Moses was special in a unique way. There's all kinds of uniqueness in how people are special throughout Scripture. But then when we meet someone that God has done or is doing something special in, our skepticism flag goes up, right? Yeah, 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 sure. yeah. But then we also have the prophet uh, when the Israelites went into captivity in Jeremiah 28, who is giving a false prophecy. And even mm-hmm. Jeremiah is like, well, okay, I guess, I guess I'll listen to you. And he breaks the yoke. And then God comes back to Jeremiah and says, hey, that, that guy, that wasn't for me. And Jeremiah has to come back and give another prophecy. So that's the healthy part of discernment. So yeah. skepticism and discernment, that's a blurry line. So what, yeah. what do you think when you encounter stories like this? How do you keep yourself open to what God is trying to encourage his people with while still being a discerning Christian? Well, uh, you know, for, for me, I know that, uh, you know, I live in a skeptical age. I live in a materialistic age. Uh, and I read a Bible that says things like, we battle not against flesh and blood, but against uh, you know, spiritual forces, spiritual wickedness in high places. Uh, so I, I, uh, I read a Bible and subscribe to a faith that says that we live in a spiritual reality and that there is, um, that there is this constant interaction and I think even interconnection between the spiritual and the physical. It can get, it can get so spooky that, um, material reality gets discounted and uh you know we become superstitious but it can get uh s- cynical in the other direction and uh, you know I, you know and I'm an, I'm a bit of an intellectual and I spent a lot of time in college and uh I, we owe a great debt to the scientific method and I love physical science um but at the same time, I got to tell you that there is, um, I, I find something, uh, something resonates very deeply within me when we start talking about a, a, a spiritual reality. And, um, you know, maybe it's because of my own experiences with death and loss early in childhood and, you know, the loss of a mom when I was young. And, you know, this this question that wouldn't go away, you know, where is she? Where is she? Um, you know, I, when I, in college, I signed up for a course called On Death and Dying. And, you know, this was a sizable university. There were four students in the entire university who signed up for that class. Um, <laughs> and it was, uh, you know, it was... It was a you know not a very um, exciting class. It was a pretty, but at the same you know uh, so uh, I, I I enjoyed this story in the same way that I enjoyed. There's a book still on the bestseller list by a doc, another doctor, Evan Alexander, called uh, Proof of Heaven. Again, you know, kind of an overblown title, but um, I I. Really do believe that um, I, I, I think that our materialistic skepticism has got to subside as we get older. I think you got to be pretty uh, hard nosed when you're coming close to the end of your mortal existence to insist to continue to insist that this is all there is. Um, and uh, my my great hope, my firm belief is that this is not all there is. And I, I loved what uh, Reggie said, that when he gets close, it feels like heaven is more real than this life is, that this is the dream and that's the reality. I think one danger for people that think, at least like me and, and partly like you, I mean, you probably thought more like me when you were a young man, but now as an old person, 
<laughs> different. Uh, I, Paul talks in terms uh, not of material, but of perishable and imperishable, but he talks yeah. about material and eternal. Yeah. And so often when we, uh, even when people talk about uh, how the world came into being, the cosmo- uh, cosmological things, evolution and creation, we're really talking about that which came before time. And time itself is, of course, perishable. It's part of a finite universe. Mm. And I was just talking to my 13-year-old about this last week, that everything we experience is is finite. Yeah. It has a beginning and end. Everything we see, everything we touch. So everything that's infinite is what we have our faith in. And the Word of God is the only thing we have that's infinite, but it's not even the words on the page. It's the words beneath the page. It's the yeah. Logos. You know, it's yeah, 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 yeah. So when we, when we enter these discussions, if anybody out there is like me, they might not be considering that they're trying to put heaven grid, even, even this, the book titled Proof of Heaven. Yeah. That's, that annoys me. I don't know what's in the book. Yeah, yeah. It might be an off yeah, yeah. book. That's a stupid title because there is no proof of the infinite because it's infinite. And we only prove what's finite, which is where science will always come up short. And so I I can rest in the fact that when I know I'm talking about an infinite thing, such as the foyer of heaven or time before time and the creation of all things, I have now stepped beyond the realms of any tool of the finite world because we're talking about a world that has substance and matter that is different. Yeah. That's simple, not yeah. complicated. But there's this hope, and this is what Paul actually says in 1 Corinthians 15. This is the exciting part. And starting in verse 50, he says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood, the stuff we live in, cannot inherit the kingdom of God, mm-hmm. nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. So he's saying, don't, don't want to stay here. You can't, you can't get to the foyer in this body. Hold, yeah. I tell you a mystery. So he's being mystical now. We shall not all sleep, but we will all be changed. So even if Jesus comes back, you're not keeping the body. In a moment, yeah. in the twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised, imperishable, infinite, and yeah. we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that's written down, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's our hope. Yeah. And that's the difference between the finite and the infinite and why we don't cling to the finite. Oh. So well said. You know what strikes me? This is a great conversation. The, the only thing wrong with it is that we're having it remotely. I mean, I can't even see you right now. I'm talking, uh, right? We should be sitting around a table at the pub uh, with some drafts in front of us, uh, looking into each other's eyes, talking about these things. Uh, I'm glad we can have this conversation now. But, man, how much better would it be at McCreary's, huh? I would be better. Yeah. I can I can meet you there, Nate. Yeah, I'm walking over now. Oh, you guys are just teasers now. But with all these smoking laws, I can't bring my pipe. And how good is a pub and a draft and a and a wonderful conversation about the kingdom of heaven without a pipe? You can see Lewis is rolling over in his grave. Where did you guys go, Mondo Newton? Uh, I was just, just listening and just thinking, I mean, you know, my mom died when I was, uh, 22 and just, you know, kind of, I mean, almost wishing that I had someone like, you know, Dr. Anderson around Mm -hmm. just, I can just imagine the comfort that someone, you know, regardless of your, your level of skepticism or, or, or what, but just someone that, that has that voice that's been gifted in that way to, um, just to talk and to comfort you, uh, I think. Yeah. Um, 
you know, so I was kind of just reflecting on that and thinking, man, how great would that have been to have someone that can uh, can speak into another person's life that's going through that the, the disappointment um, and the and the pain of loss, yeah. and 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 to offer that comfort. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How about how about you, Mondo? Where did you go in the conversation? I think we may have lost Mondo. Yeah, I got a little bad signal over here. You hear me oh, now? I'm sorry, man. Yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. I just wondered where you went in the where you went with this conversation. What was stirred well, and you're thinking? Yeah, well, uh, when my grandmother passed back in '96, I had the privilege of standing next to her as she passed. Um, mm. Before she passed, um, she, my father and our pastor were standing at the foot of the bed she was laying in, which is actually in my bedroom. Um, so as a 18-year-old, mm-hmm. I watched my grandmother pass, pass away in my bedroom in my bed. Mm-hmm. And um, she, in a very soft voice, was describing what she saw above the pastor and my dad's head. She, mm-hmm. she was seeing heaven. And so it, the, the picture she described in a very thin, faint voice uh, was very moving, and it stuck to stuck with me since then. And so as I heard the conversation today, you know, uh, my skepticism uh, isn't – I'm probably not as skeptic, skeptic about topics like this as I am other things. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the, the mind that my grandmother was in at the time, she, you know, she wasn't in a place of, well, hey, let me make something up to make it sound good as I die. You know yeah. what I mean? Uh, she's it's truly in a place where her her spirit was speaking. Yeah. And and so so for me, you know, you know, I I, I try not to pass judgment or either even have some sort of uh, pessimistic thoughts. Uh, I do believe for sure that uh, I would agree that this is the, the dream and the reality is to come. And mm-hmm. and the, the the peace that I saw in my grandmother as she was going to her new reality. Mm. I've never seen I've never seen that level of peace here on earth in my life or anyone else's. Mhm. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, it was kind of moving, man. It made me think about my own experience uh quite deeply. I'm probably meditating on that quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, we've we've removed I think the humanity from death in in such a large to such a large degree um that even I mean a lot of times when people die, it's not I mean, they're on machines, and um, you know, you're, the family isn't around you. You know, yeah. maybe like like it like it used to be. And so I think I don't know that we're actually in our society close enough to death to you know yeah. uh, to the to the moment of death uh, to really have an appreciation um, of of what happens. Um, yeah. You know, I've I've never I've never been in a room with someone as they die. Uh, I've only seen dead people at funerals. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And it's amazing we have done that. I mean, folks used to die at home, and now, uh, you know, we have special places to take them, 